You ready for this this morning? I think we need to pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we are, uh, as we say every week, Lord, we are utterly dependent upon your Holy Spirit to reveal to us the truth of your word. I know personally I walked for many years. I couldn't see it. It didn't make any sense to me. And then all of a sudden, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I was able to see your, first your reality and, uh, and then your plans for humanity. And uh, my life's never been the same. So, Father, I'm praying for everybody this morning that you would uh, be with us, that you would unpack your word in a way that is uh, intelligible by all here and on live stream. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Welcome, live streamers. We know we have a big part of our congregation is now gone. I met a few of you even this morning that said this is your last week. We will miss you. So when I write in your little email, weekly email, you'll be missed if you aren't there. I mean that, and we miss uh, many of you who aren't here. We're going to continue this series today that uh, we are not calling a series, but it's become so long that I'm embarrassed to call it a series. That's why I didn't want to call things series anymore, because they just kind of keep going. But you know what's amazing about it? You can start anywhere, and I think you're beginning to find this out. You can start anywhere, and the gospel narrative is everywhere. It doesn't matter where you, where you are. You can be in the Psalms. You can be in the book of Job. You can, be, you can be in Genesis. You can be in the Old Testament. That boggles people's minds. You can be right in the middle of the law. You can be right in the middle of the cleansing of the house of a leper. You all know, know how to do that? As they would say in Texas, you all know how to do that? cleanse the house of a leper? Are you kidding me? No, that, right in the middle of that is Jesus emerges and his death, burial, resurrection on our behalf. So God's pretty much saying the same thing. And if you don't believe me, he said, well, this is all just some big, you know, heresy and uh, it's happened way after the fact and you can't trust the Bible. Then go to one of your Jewish friends' home that maybe is not a follower of Jesus and then just ask them for their book and, and bring it and let's meet and sit down for coffee and just like the early church had, and we'll talk about Jesus as he emerges throughout all of Scripture. It's powerful. It's powerful. We're going to see another picture of that this morning. We started it last week. It is such a weird story. Would you agree with that? I mean, come on, that is a weird story. For those of you who weren't here, I'll be, and for those of you who can't remember from day to day, I'll just give you a little quick. <laughs> I, went to, I didn't point any fingers. I didn't point any fingers. But it is hard to kind of remember sometimes because you've spent so much time in the Word this week, you forget already. I know all of you are spending the time you should in the Word, aren't you? Come on now. We're a Word people. We're a Word people. Uh, Last week we looked at this bizarre thing. So uh, David had finally taken his position. He's finally ruling. Ishbosheth is now gone. And uh, and he's ruling over a unified kingdom. And he says, okay, I want to bring the Ark of the Covenant back. As we had seen, Abinadab had had it in his house. Now, the Bible says 20 years, but if you actually go a little deeper, it's actually about 40 years. You say, well, is there a contradiction there? No, there's not a contradiction. It just, it, it suggests that it was there 20 years, and then this event happened that says it was there 20 years, and then it was there another 20 years. So it's a little complicated, but about 40 years because it says the Ark of the Covenant went to his house before Saul began to reign, and we know Saul reigned about 40 years. So the Ark of the Covenant had moved from the Philistines and had moved now to the house of Abinadab. And, and David's like, look, we, we, I'm building my own house. We've got all this stuff going. I want God's presence. So that's what's very important and instructive in what we saw last week. The Ark of the Covenant is not just something Indiana Jones chases. No, the Ark of the Covenant is something much deeper than that. It was a representative type, and we'll see that this morning, 
of God's presence. And it was articulating in a very specific way how we are to approach God. Exodus chapter 25, God tells Moses, he said, Now Moses, I'm going to give you a pattern on the mountain. And I want you to, with great exactness, I want you to build it. Everything I tell you, the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant is included in that. Everything exactly as I tell you on the mountain. Now, I can imagine, because God told Moses a lot of things on Mount Sinai, and I can only imagine, you know, Moses there. Of course, it wasn't even like this, or typing into his iPhone. I mean, it was chiseling or something out of stone. I mean, this must have been difficult. And he was taking all these notes, and I can see, I can just see Moses' eye. Do what? Uh, and make it exactly. And, and I can imagine, really? I mean, it seems so arduous, and so God are all right, yes, sir, yes, sir. And, and it's just, you know, some of the stuff, have you ever tried to read the entirety of the Levitical law? I mean, it deals with civil, moral, it deals with all kinds of things. The minutia was important to God. Why? Because minutia is important to God. Well, yeah, minutia is important. He knows the number of hairs on your head. But, but, it was all, always with a deeper purpose. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So we left... What had happened, he said, David said, okay, he got 30,000 people. They went, and they went to the house of Abinadab, and he said, okay, let's take the ark. They put it on a cart, and they began, they began making their way. And there were two characters, and they were sons of Abinadab, and they were Ahio, and they were Uzzah, and both of them. Now, there's a lot of debate about this because Josephus, a later historian, made some comments about this. There's a lot of debate as to whether they were even Levites. The Bible actually never says they were Levites. Now, that's going to become important as we go along in this study. So Uzzah is here, and Ohio are here, and they're, you know, pushing this Ark of the Covenant along. Oxen are driving the cart, and it's a rocky road. And then the Ark begins to tip, and that's what we saw last week. So what would you do? I mean, this is a precious thing. The king, the king is asking us to do this. And it begins to slide off the cart. What would you do? Is this a weird thing? 500 pounds. Probably it was more like, give me some help here. And immediately he died. See, your Bible is full of bizarre, strange stories about a, a God that you cannot trust. And I even said to you last week, some of you, may, maybe you had a father. Is that the kind of father? Maybe you had a father where you came home and you didn't know maybe if he had a drunken night out and whether he was going to backhand you or whether he's going to give you $5. Maybe you had that kind of uncertainty with your own father and now you come to the Bible and you read a story like that and say, God must be like my father. I want nothing to do with him. I meet him all the time. You know, your relationship with your father, some of you had great relationships. Some of you had terrible relationships with your father. Some of you didn't even know your father. And I know for a fact there are people here that didn't even know their father. And now you read a story like this, and it seems like God is just so random. What do we do with this? Well, that's where I left you last week, and so I'm glad you came back. All right, so let's get into this. First of all, we're going to ask the question this morning, why? Why did this happen? What was the problem here? Well, one of the first things that we can at least think is that Abinadab, the Ark of the Covenant, had been in their home for an extended period of time. Do it, yeah, here's the ark, okay? So remember what we said last week. This is about four, roughly four feet long, two feet high, and two feet in depth. 
Okay, so it's not huge, but it's, it's weighty. It's gold, the top, the mercy seat, which is this top portion. And then these, uh, these cherubim on top, I mean, they're solid gold. I mean, that's weighty. That was at least 100 pounds. The whole thing together, probably 500 pounds. And they had had this Ark of the Covenant in their home their entire life. And what happens when you are around that your entire life? You become familiar with it. And it doesn't seem to be such a big deal. There's some of you that never knew God. And now you've heard the message of the gospel. And for maybe the first time. And you've now given your life to Jesus. And you're a follower of Jesus. And this is precious stuff to you. You're taking notes. I see some of my friends here on the first row. And I love them. Uh, from the Coachella Valley Rescue Mission. And they're here. My amen. This is the ranch down here. Give me an amen. And, and, I, and every word is precious. Is that fair enough to say? Every word. And I see them worshiping. They weren't familiar with these things. The question is, I, the concern I have for my own kids, I, got, I have three girls. The concern I have is that they've grown up in some ways around the presence of God and it can become familiar. It has to become familiar to them. They have to know it for themselves. Sometimes you can grow up in and around the church and it's just familiar, and you don't realize who you're dealing with. Maybe that was it. Maybe that's the way they proceeded. They really didn't pay attention to the ordinances. What we need to do is we need to go back into the law. There had been some, tra some tragic mistakes that had been made. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Numbers chapter 4. Numbers chapter 4. I'm going to start here in verse 4. Numbers chapter 4, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the five books, the first five books, sometimes referred to collectively as the Pentateuch or the Torah or the Torah, depending on who you're around, the Torah. We're going to start here in verse 4. Now catch this. This is the work of the descendants of Kohath in the tent of meeting concerning the most holy things. Now I want to stop there. So, first of all, Kohath, well, who are the Kohath? The Kohath, the Kohathites were a division, a family within the greater tribe of the Levitical tribe. Now, look, if you're not around your Bible much and none of this makes sense, it's going to all come together. Just bear with me. Uh, Moses brought, Charlton Heston brought them out of <laughs> Egypt. They went through the Red Sea, and now they're in the wilderness and Moses is giving, God's given Moses these instructions, and he said, look, when you're dealing with the stuff, the whole tabernacle, including the most precious piece, which is the Ark of the Covenant, you need to be really, really careful when you do this. Now, a lot of times this story is read or understood and not outside the context of understanding the whole Bible and what's in it. That seems random, but look what God has said. So, and, and so it's the Kohathites. And then we'll start here, and then verse 5. And when the camp sets out, Aaron and his son shall go in, and they shall take down the veil of the screen and cover the ark of the testimony with it. The ark of the testimony, the ark of the covenant, the same thing. It says, and they shall lay a covering of porpoise skin on it, and shall spread over it a cloth of pure blue, and shall insert its poles over the table of the bread, and it talks now about the bread of the presence and some other articles within the, not just the holy of holies, but the holy place where there were some other items very specific. Verse 11, 
and over the golden altar. They shall spread a blue cloth and cover it with a covering of porpoise skin and shall insert its poles. Now, just do me a favor. Remember and insert its poles. Just remember that. Say, well, why is, why is that even relevant? You'll see. Now, let's go down to verse 15. And when Aaron and his sons had finished covering the holy objects and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is, set, is to set out, after that the sons of who? Kohath shall come to carry them so that they may not touch the holy objects and die. It's in the law. These are the things in the tent of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. And then verse 19... But do this to them that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy objects. Aaron and his sons shall go in and assign each of them to his work and to his load. But they shall not go in to see the holy objects even for a moment lest they die. Now, you say, well, this still doesn't, for me, it doesn't remove God from his responsibilities. Because God should be, why is he so picky? Why is all this so, why? I mean, they're just trying, they're doing the best they can. I mean, we, we like that. He's, he's doing the best he can. He's just doing the best he can. I mean, you know, he, we apply that around the world. They're just doing the best they can. All, all paths lead to God. All religions lead to God. Why? They're just doing the best they can. You don't have to be born again. I know Jesus said that, but he was just, Jesus was just doing the best that he could. That was his take on it. You don't have to be baptized. You don't, need to, you don't need to believe in it. You just just do the best you can. Can I ask you, would you want that for your employees? I know many of you have run businesses. We've got a lot of Fortune 500 type people in this church. Would you want that? Well, he just did the best he could. Yeah, but he didn't pay any attention to what I told him. Yeah, but he did the best he could from his perspective. It's a matter of perspective, isn't it? Okay, here, here's what I'd like for you to do. Uh, Dr. Parkinson's here. He said, okay, uh, Nurse Ratchet, sorry, Nurse Ratchet, <laughs> sorry, uh, I'd like for you to do this. I have a patient back there, and, uh, you know, he needs to get prepped for surgery, and, you know, la da 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 And then she goes off, and she gets coffee at Starbucks and brings it back, and he goes in to operate, and nothing's happening, and what's going on? And, and she says, well, I'm just doing the best I can. I thought you might want some coffee. Would it function? Would an army, would a military group, would a fighting group ever function in the capacity? We're just kind of doing the best you can. Well, they did the best they could. I want you to go to Romans, if you will, Romans chapter 10 real quick. Romans chapter 10. This is talking now about the Jewish people in general. The Jewish people as a nation rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Now, as you know, and I have him here all the time for, for guests, we have many Jewish people part of this body, believers in Jesus. We're very connected as a church to the seminary, Jewish-run seminary in Israel, and they all love Jesus, and they have their Arab friends and their Jewish friends, and they all love Jesus, and they talk about Jesus, and they serve Jesus right in Israel. So we know we can't just say Jewish people don't believe in Jesus. Many Jewish people believe in Jesus. Jesus was Jewish, and Jesus believed in Jesus. All right? By the way, Jesus was Jewish. Okay? So... So, and now you get to this. It says at Romans 10, verse 1 and 2. Sorry, is that up, guys? Okay, there we go. Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, that's his, his brothers, his fellow Israelites, is for their salvation. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Rome. I, I want them to be saved. Now, verse 2. 
For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. They're doing really the best that they can, but not in accordance with knowledge. Look, you can try as hard as you want. You need the text. That's why we are devoted to the text. We are a word church. We always will be. We're a content-driven church. We worship. We do communion. We have, we have gatherings. We're going to be bowling, for heaven's sakes, not too, not too far off. But what I'm saying is we are a word-based church. If you don't have the word, you have everybody doing the best they can. But if you have the word, you say, okay, what is the best that God desires? Okay, so that's part of it too. Now, very fascinating, if you will, please go to uh, uh, chapter, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I want you to go on to verse, uh, chapter 7, and then look at verse 9. Deuteronomy, excuse me, Numbers, I am, boy, I'm out. Numbers chapter 7, verse 9. Numbers chapter 7, verse 9. We're going to look at this real quick. It says, but he did not give any of the sons of Koath because theirs was the service of the holy objects which they carried on their shoulder. Now, what was happening? Well, the, the, what preceded this was that Moses, what they had done is they were going to give some of the other tribal leaders and some of the Levites here, they were going to give them a particular task. And to do that, they needed oxen and they needed carts. Okay, so if you look back at verse 4, and the Lord said to Moses, accept these things from them that they may be used in the service of the tent of meeting, and you shall give them to the Levites, to each man according to his service. So Moses took carts and oxen and gave them to the Levites, two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon according to their service, and four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari. According to their service under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. But he did not give the sons of Kohath. Why? Their responsibility, for some reason, was uniquely different. So you could, t- you could put everything else. Right? You, we say, well, what are they having to do? They're in the wilderness, and when God told them to move, when the fire by night and the cloud by day moved, they had to pack everything up in this tabernacle, this wandering wilderness tabernacle, And they had to get it all packed. And God says, you better do that exactly like I tell you. Somebody's going to die. I I think that's just bizarre, these these ancient deities. You know, making these grand statements, somebody's going to die. And he said, but by the way, just the Kohathites, because they're responsible for carrying this ark. They don't need oxen, and they don't need carts. What's David doing? Did he, and I want you to ask, what we've seen throughout is like, did he inquire of the Lord? Go to First, First Chronicles chapter 15. First Chronicles chapter 15. When this comes together, this is some of your mind. Be careful who you're sitting next to because somebody's mind might be blown and it might, you know. So just be careful. This is powerful. So now... He, he's actually going to, 15 uh, Chronicles doesn't actually chronicle the issue of Uzzah. So he decides he's going to move the ark. So it skips the Uzzah part, and now that it's been resting. The ark went to a place of Obed-Edom, who was a Levite, okay? And he was a gatekeeper. We don't know exactly where his house is, but he was a gatekeeper. So chances are his, he wasn't in the main city of Jerusalem, maybe just outside the gate. But his house was there. And he got the Ark of the Covenant for three months because David says, I'm not bringing it into the city. I am mad at God. I am so angry with God because, I mean, good grief. What are we supposed to do with this? I'm just trying to do, I'm doing my very best. But then he realizes his mistake. 
And this is what he says. Verse 1, 1 Chronicles 15. It says, Now David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. And then verse 13. He says, But wait a minute. Let's be really careful when you get to the place I prepared. Verse 13. Because you did not carry it at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to the ordinance. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel and the sons of the Levites. Now the sons of the Levites carried the ark of the covenant on their shoulders. And you can bet it was the Kohathites. With the poles thereon as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. What was the problem? David realized I hadn't inquired of the Lord. I wanted to do something grand for God. I made one mistake. I didn't inquire of the Lord. A lot of people think if I just do my best, if I do anything for God, God's got to be pleased with it, right? I don't have to really inquire as long as I just go out and do anything for God. Do you realize that sometimes when you're doing something for God, it may not be something that he actually wants you to do? And in fact, it may not be something according to his word, especially as new believers. You just want to run out and do all these things and do it for God. And, and that, that's an honorable thing that you want to do. It's a beautiful passion that you have. But it's got to be in direct correspondence with, number one, what God says in his word, and number two, what he generally says to you as an individual. And early on, very early on in your walk with Jesus, it's hard to hear his voice. You're not used to it yet. And you don't know the word well enough. So you just go out and do the best you can. Now, why was this so important to God? That's our question. And, and why did David want this thing back anyway? All it did was cause problems. Let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6 now. Let's go back to our story and continue. Oh, this is about to get good. Have I whet your appetite enough? It is so, this is so powerful. I love this. Verse 11, 2 Samuel 6, verse 11. So the ark, he said, I'm not bringing to the city. So it went to Obed-Edom. And what happened with Obed-Edom when he had the ark of the covenant? Well, it says, and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. If you go into 1 Chronicles chapter 26, it tells you how he blessed him. He had unbelievable sons, more than almost anybody else. And they were amazing men doing unbelievable work for the Lord. And it says, and thus he blessed the house of Obed-Edom. Now, what does the ark represent? It represents God's presence. Why would, God, why would David want it back? I don't want anything to do with that. I, I, forget it. I'm not bringing that thing into my house or in the city. Did you see what happened to Uzzah? And then somebody probably brought it before him and said, David, King David, do you realize you didn't inquire of the Lord? And look, look, it's right, here in our, it's right here in the text. It's in the law that was given to our forefathers some 500 years before with Moses. He said, don't do it. Don't put it on a cart. Carry it on poles. Only the Levites and only the Kohathites. Make sure you do it exactly according to the pattern. And David went, oh. And here we see the mixed bag of David again. Right before that, at the end of 2 Samuel 5, he was inquiring of the Lord, and he won two amazing battles. And God said, shall I do it again? Shall we go up? And, and he says, yes, go up. And he went up, and they won. And, then, and same thing, same valley and all that. And Shall we do it again? No, no. Do it this way. And they went around the backside. Do you see that? And now, so he's inquiring, inquiring, and then 
And then he doesn't inquire about something because he was well-intentioned. Do you know this happens all the time? This happens, it's happened in my life so many times, I'm ashamed to say it. I'm inquiring of the Lord, inquiring of the Lord, and I make a decision based upon what I, through his word and this, and then another thing comes, and I, and I just make a decision. And I, and I don't really think about it. And, it's, and sometimes they're big decisions. They're, they're significant decisions. I don't care what color socks you wear today. God doesn't either. Your wife might care, but no, nobody really cares. So God's not going to instruct you what color socks to wear today. Forget it. That's not what we're talking about. But when there's something of importance to God and to your future, are you inquiring of the Lord? Or you just say, well, it's, you know, it's the best I can do. Be cautious. Be very cautious. Now, we live under the age of grace and mercy and people aren't struck down. And people say, well, that never happens in the New Testament. Did Really? Read the book of Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira. God struck them down like that. What God was trying to say, it's still important to listen to my voice and obey I know we're under new covenant. I know you're born again. Ananias and Sapphira come bef- before, and they, they give some money to the church, and they said, here, here it is. And they misrepresented what it was. They said, is that all the price? They said, that's all the price. They didn't have to give anything. They weren't compelled to give anything. And God struck them down because they were lying to the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that they were lying to the Holy Spirit. Listening to God's voice and obeying is important. It's important to me. And I'll tell you, and I, and I walk with great fear and trepidation here coming to bring the word before you because I have people that their lives are being formed spiritually by the word, but I'm the one at times and others of us imparting that word. You should never do that lightly. Well, I think this, the word says this, and I think the word says that, and then you misapply it, and then lives are cost. It, it's costly, or the stewardship of people's lives are cost. It's very important how we unpack this word. And you can't do it in a little 10, 15-minute homily. You cannot. I'm convinced. It takes some real depth and some digging into this, as you can see, even this morning. So let's talk a little bit more about this ark. Okay, now this is going to get good. Because now we're going to answer, why did God do that? Is he that anal? Is he that random? I'm going to just construct this bizarre thing with no intent or purpose. That's not our God. God is shrewd. He never does anything without purpose. That's why every word is precious to me. There aren't things, well, that's a boring part. I'll just skip over that. That's a boring part. Now, you may not understand it, but I'm telling you, every word in here, even the genealogies, as we've seen, are important to God. Every word is powerful, living, and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's unbelievable, but we've got to unpack it. So what was going on here? Well, we talked a little bit about, let's, let's, these are the poles. That's actually, this actually comes from our, our seminary there in the Middle East. This is their image. So this is the only thing, this is gold overlay, and then inside those poles is, it's wood on the inside. That's not solid gold. It's wood on the inside and then gold on the outside. These are the sockets on the outside, and then we see the cherubim, and then on top of that's the mercy seat. So what was really happening is that when all this was intact in the Holy of Holies, then God's presence would come and dwell on top of the mercy seat once the blood was poured out. And his presence under the wings, that's where, in a sense, the presence of God would dwell. Now, God fills the cosmos. But it's certainly as a type and an understanding, this was God's presence. So when Obed-Edom had this in his house, would you like to have something like that in your house? Well, guess what? You can. 
you can invite Jesus into your house. Men, you can be the spiritual leader of your home. Women, you can also rule and reign with your husband, with your children. You can have a family that is built around the precepts and the idea and the understanding that Jesus gave us on the cross. And you can, in many ways, bring in the blessings into your home. And if you fail to do that, and this is not a, this is, some of you, look, say, if I'd have known what I knew now, I'd have raised my kids differently. I know many of you, your heart aches and you, you yearn that you could have understood this maybe better and been better parents if you would have only known what you know now. Let me tell you, there's plenty of grace there. And God is still there. And he's planning ways to bring back the estranged one to himself. That's what a woman told David during his time of crisis with Absalom. He's planning ways to bring your kids back. He's still a God of grace and infinite mercy. But this was in their house. Well, what else was uh, constructed here? Well, it's what was inside the box, what was inside the ark. Well, we talked about it a little, little bit. Now I want to get a little bit more in-depth with that this morning. There was a jar of manna they had collected during their wanderings, and they had had this jar, and God says, put it in the box. There was also the, the moral law was in there. Well, it, the stone commandments, they were in there. And then there was one other item. And it's a unique item. It was an interesting item. It was Aaron's rod. You say, well, what was that, what was that important? Well, back in Numbers chapter 17, don't have time to go there because I, I do not want to run out of time on this. But if we go back to Numbers chapter 17, we get a picture. There was a rebellion when they were in the wilderness. Now, remember, this is happening about 500 times before the events that we're talking about now. So this is during the time of Moses and the Exodus. David is some 500 years later. So let's get all this kind of a picture. So there was a promise to Abraham about a thousand year, 2,000 years before Jesus. There was Moses about 1,500 years before the time of Jesus. Now we have David about 1,000 years before the time of Jesus. Everybody on the same page? So now they're saying well, all these items, and they've been around, and the ark's been moving around, and there's all this stuff going on. But there's something that happened. Korah, it's called Korah's Rebellion. Korah stood up and said, who are you guys to lead? Who gave you authority to lead? Why are you telling us what to do? Says who? Well, they were looking for different leadership. Moses is not, he's not working out for us. We've got to find somebody else. We don't like Aaron. And God told Moses, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take, and I want you to take a rod from every single one of the tribes and write their name on the rod. And then you, you put it in there, and then you come in the next morning, and I'll pick which one, and I'll tell you who has the authority. Well, Aaron's representing the tribe of Levi. He came in the next morning, and guess what had happened with Aaron's rod? It had budded. A dead thing had come to life. Are you with me? That doesn't happen. These, these are not rods that they just cut off the day before, and now they're, you know, walking around because that's a green rod, and that wouldn't have worked. These have been aged over many years. These things have been dead for a long time. These are rods. They had made this. This is a nice instrument. It was hard. It was to be a rod. It was hard. It, but it was dead. It was functional, but it was dead. And here they come in, and, and, and I want you to put that in there too. Now, what did all that mean? Well, I'll tell you what, exactly what it means. It is a prefiguring of Jesus. You cannot see it more clearly. In John chapter 6, what did Jesus say? I am the bread that's come down out of heaven. I am God's word to humankind. I am the manna, and the manna in that ark was representative of God's word to humanity. You want to know what I say? That's what I say, Jesus. What Jesus says, what I say. That's exactly what Jesus said about himself. I do exactly what I see the Father doing. I only speak what the Father tells me to speak. 
You want to know what God says? Jesus says, you look at me. Now, you can say, well, I reject that. I think he spoke through Buddha, and I think he's Krishna, and I, I think he's spoke, spoken through many different people off the, off through the years. Let me tell you something. At the end of the day, I'm only concerned about one person and what he says, that's Jesus. I'm not even concerned really about what other men say because men can get off track very easily. And when you start a movement or a denomination or something and it's based upon a man's interpretation, I want to base it on Jesus. I want to be part of Jesus. Look, I, look at all those sticks in there. Look at all these rods in there. Well, what is, you know, and the Ten Commandments and all that and the moral law, what was that about? Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. See, that what that represents for me is my failure of the moral law. I'm not a good man. I have failed the law. The Bible says if you failed in even one part of these, you're guilty of the whole thing. So that testimony in there is I have failed it, but Jesus accomplished it. I went my own way. I had my own thoughts about life. I had my own hybrid views of life. But there's the manna, and Jesus was the word. And then what about these rods? Well, number one, it clearly picks, it, po- it, it picked that this was the priest. The priest is the one that I'm going to speak to. He said, well, Jesus wasn't a Levite. Well, Psalm 110 says, well, I'm going to pick a different priest from a different tree. And he's going to be according to the order of Melchizedek. All this is in your Jewish friend's Bible, by the way, who may not yet be a believer in Jesus. I, I, the reason I repeat that, he said, it's just Christian theology. That's why it's so brilliant of God to give the custodial oversight of the, of the Old Testament on which the church was launched to a people group who as a whole, at least at that time, tended to reject Jesus. Not everybody did. Maybe 20,000 Jews believed in Jesus at the time in and around and after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So it wasn't all or nothing. So, But as a nation, they rejected. And they were the custodians of this, this very document that have allowed me intellectually to go back and go, wait a minute, I just think this is some fabrication of something that was built over the years. You know? I tell him something, he tells Marty something, he tells that guy something, and it comes back to me and says, I didn't say that at all. See, you can't. This has been 2,000 years. Of course you can't have the same thing. Fine, go back to the Old Testament. So what was that rod? What did it represent? One rod, not only is it chosen, but it comes back from the dead. Look, you can have all the rods you want. I'm only interested in one. Did Buddha come back to life? Not even a claim. Did Muhammad come back to life? Not even a claim. Give me religious leaders. Give me Stephen Hawking. He died just not long ago. He was, he was in many ways a religious leader of millions of people today. Under scientism or science, has he come back to life? Well, if you're going to pick a rod, I would suggest you might want to consider picking a rod that has budded once it's been dead. Do you see that? Is that awesome? Where is the presence of God? Jesus. And then Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door. You don't need an ark to come into your house. You need Jesus to come into your tent, which is your body, according to the Apostle Paul. Are you with me? Is this powerful? Now let's keep going because we're not done yet. Is that, that, we could quit right there and that would be good, right? But we're going to keep going. So 
Now you've got the ark, and what are they going to do? They're going to carry it on poles. They're not going to put it on. The Philistines, they put it on a cart with oxen. We don't do what the world does. The cross is so contrary to the world, it's unbelievable. It's antithetical to the world. Everything the world says, the cross is the opposite, virtually almost in every way. Here's what I want you. Kohathites, you get them, they put it on. And then, you know what they did? Now, there's a little... It's hard to understand here because as we get into 2 Samuel, if you look down here, 2 Samuel 6, verse 12, it says, Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on the account of the ark of the Lord. And and so they brought the ark of the God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And so it was when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and David wore a linen ephod. Now, if you know the rest of the story, his wife, Michael, one of his wives, which is one of the seeds of his destruction, one of his wives, Saul's daughter, was embarrassed that he was doing that. He was embarrassed of his worship, his dancing, his excitement about the presence of God coming back into the city. We'll talk about that in a minute. What I want you to see is we're going to do this right we're going to have the right people carrying it. We're going, to have the right, we're going to move it exactly as God had said, move it. And we're going to offer animals every six paces. Now, theologians disagree. Some suggest that it was all the way from Obed-Edom's home until it got into its tent in Jerusalem. We don't know exactly. Some suggest maybe it was just a one-time occurrence. If you read 1 Chronicles chapter 15, it said seven animals uh, were, were slaughtered. So maybe it was when, as they got close. I don't really care. All I'm telling you is that it was one, two, three, four, five, six slaughter animals. One, two, three, four, five, six slaughter some animals at least seven times. The number of completion for a Jewish mind. All the way to the tent of meeting. Why? I'm going to give you my take. You don't have to buy into it, but I'll give you my take. This is what happened on the cross a thousand years later. Here's the presence of God. Jesus, the budded rod, the one who would be raised from the dead. With the poles in tow, up, 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 with a trail of blood all the way to the tent. Now, if that's not a picture of Jesus, I mean, that's powerful. That's got a, it should should frighten you out of your mind if you're playing games with God. How exacting God is. It's powerful. But we're not done there. So if that's true, I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 22. As if God needed to do it again. You know, three is very important in Scripture. Things come in threes. Wait three days. Like Lazarus, wait three days. Three days later. You'll see it all the way throughout Scripture. There's like seven is the number of completion, but three, like a three, a cord of three strands, Ecclesiastes say, will not quickly be torn asunder. Something about three. You got two, it's more powerful than one. We know that. It's better when two lie down than one. But when you have three, they interlock and they form something that can't be broken. Well, we've got Jesus on the cross climbing Mount Moriah. Now we have the ark being ushered in on two poles, the very presence of God in a pool of blood the whole way. What happened 
500 years prior to that. Excuse me, 1,000 years prior to that. This, you, I mean, people say, oh, I, don't believe the, I don't believe the Bible. And the only reason it has is because you hadn't read it. Truly. I mean, because once you get this and know, verse 1, and it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, kind of sound like God the Father, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I will tell you. Now, do you think that was important? Well, I'm just doing the best I can. I'll just, I, I, you know, in fact, I'm down in Beersheba. There's a mountain a little closer to here. He said, go to a mountain. I'll just go to the mountain that I want to go to. No, go into a very specific mountain that I appoint for you, and I'll tell you when you get there. That's what he told him. He was in Beersheba, which is probably 60 to 80 miles south of where he would eventually go. Now, you've got to realize when Abraham's here, there's no Jerusalem. There's no big city. This is out in the middle of nowhere. Climb that mountain, that very mountain. And when he got there, he knew it. And then verse 4, on the third day, here you go. Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder. Now catch this. And we will worship, and we will return. Why is he going up there? God said, I want you to sacrifice your only son. Why did he say we will return? Because he believed that God would raise his own son. Does that sound familiar? 2,000 years before the time of Jesus. And so what happened? And he says, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on the back of Isaac. Really? His son. And he took his hand and the fire and the knife. And so the two of them walked together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father. He says, my father, here I am, my son. He says, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? Could you have done that with your own son? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. He did then, and he did 2,000 years later. Does this grab you? What mountain did they choose? The exact same mountain that Jesus would climb 2,000 years later. The exact same mountain that this ark on two poles with a bloody line all the way to the place, the same mountain, three times in a row, as if God is saying, Do you get this? So, what do we do with this? You have to live. For Jesus, this has been the plan. The Bible says he was slain before the foundations of the earth. Before you were created, before the cosmos was spoken into existence, this was the plan of God. That's how sovereign the God is that we serve. He gave us exacting detail. Hebrews chapter 8, make it according to the Exodus 25, make it according to the pattern. And then Paul picks this up and is refraining in both Hebrews chapter 8 and chapter 9 and says, look, this was all a shadow of things. To, this is a shadow of what really came. Just a shadow, a type, a shadow. God was 
casting long shadows on that mount, that mount thousands of years before Jesus until it was finally, finally fulfilled in Christ. And you know what's even wilder? And this really boggles my mind. Do you know what Uzzah means? The name Uzzah? Strength. You say, why is that important? Uzzah tried to climb into the presence of God, if you will, through his own strength, even though it was the best he could do. God's not interested in your strength because he knows you have little. Jesus made that clear. No man is good. They said, good teacher? He said, look, why do you call me good? No man is good. He said, look, when you, you begin to make this pilgrimage, if you're going to do this under your own strength by being a good guy or trying harder or being religious, you're Uzzah. Or you can just climb onto the back of Jesus in a way through his presence and his sacrifice and his work and his grace and his mercy. And you can climb there into the presence of God. See, what I find for me is if I'm going to do this in my strength, that's religion. But God's way is always this way, and that's the cross. It's the two poles, it's the wood on the back of Isaac, and it's ultimately Calvary. And you know what happens? It's been my, what we saw in First Chronicles 15. If we continue to read that, right when the ark got there, you know what they did? He prescribed worship. He said, get everybody with an instrument and play, and he assigned people with specific tasks, and they began to play these beautiful worship music and David was a worshiper see what I find is that people that really understand the cross become true worshipers they come early they want to seat here so they can be involved in the worship they're worshipers at home they love to worship and they don't care what anybody thinks David didn't care they raise their hands during worship look I don't care whether you do or not you can worship in any way that you want but be passionate about it don't stomp your feet and wait till the songs are done. Be a worshiper. If you understand what he did, you're going to want to get down on your knees and say, Father, it's you, only you. And you're just worshiping because you understood, understand what he did on your behalf. And people who tend to do it in their own strength don't really tend, it's been my observation, aren't usually worshipers. Like Michael, she didn't understand. You're in your underwear, some king you, some king and leader you are. Oh, the big leader of Israel, and you're dancing around in your underwear? Lent an ephod, but underwear for all intents and purposes? Some leader of Israel, oh, some leader. He says, I don't care what you say. And she never had a child after that, by the way. She was barren from that day forward. And we're going to close with this. I want you to go to John chapter 20. This is just too good, man. I don't know how you read this and don't get saved. <laughs> or want to get saved again. John chapter 20, when you, when, when you put this stuff together, and I don't mean stuff. Father, forgive me for calling this stuff. This is, this is your precious word. John chapter 20. I'm going to read the first 12 verses. We'll close. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the Saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. And 
Peter therefore went and the other disciple and they were going to the tomb and the two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen linen wrappings lying there. But he didn't go in. And so Peter therefore came also, followed him, and entered the tomb. And he beheld the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they didn't understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Now, what was the scripture? The New Testament? Mm -mm. Old Testament, just like we're seeing now. He was the, the rod that budded. They didn't understand that. He said, so the disciples went away again to their own homes, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she beheld two angels in white, Sitting where? Let's say it together. Sitting where? One at the feet and one at the head. Looks kind of like those two angels. God spares no detail. But where's Jesus? Where's Jesus at this point? There's blood there. There's some linen wrappings. And there's the picture. That's God's presence. He is alive and well. And if you invite him into your heart today, He will live there forever. And you, like Obed-Edom and his household, will have exactly what Jesus promised before his death. I came to give life and life more abundantly. And we're going to close with this this song. Uh, I love this song. It's a Revelation song. But it's got some pictures. And I just want you to, with all that you know now, with the Ark of the Covenant and with that, because that happened 500 years, 1,000 years, excuse me, before this event. But I want you to think in terms of what the presence is all about. And what our task is, as carriers of the presence now, to take it into this valley and around the world as best we are called. I'm not saying these aren't delusions of grandeur. Wherever God's called us to be the manifest presence of God. Paul called it this scent, Right? It was like a fragrance of life among the dead. Let's watch the video.